Sarah Ezrin is an EYRT 500 yoga instructor and a freelance writer at the Yoga Journal as well as LA Yoga Magazine. Her mission is to teach self-love by helping people look at their limiting beliefs and old stories. She loves guiding people toward the truth, and that truth is that they are worth it. She believes that self-doubt is what holds us back in relationships and also believes that it is amazing how much is possible when we just get out of our own way. Anywhere from finding the right career path to the right partner, if you can learn to get out of your own way, the world will open up to you. And on today's episode, I'm super thankful that she spent the time with us to share her story because she's an expectant mother. When we recorded, she was about four months pregnant, but it's been a while and I've just absolutely enjoyed following her story on social media so that we can learn a little bit more about how Sarah Ezrin approaches the world. Before we get into today's episode, I've got to give another shout out to Nick Mancini. He's always accessible to me when I reach out and I have a quick question or a deeper question about my mental health, my self-confidence, and where I'm at in this world. You may or may not have realized, but I'm approaching 40 years old and Madison and I kind of want to go to Greece next year. And, you know, that's a big adventure to plan for her high school graduation, her 18th birthday, and my 40th. But kind of behind that is a little bit of this mini midlife crisis, I guess you would say. And out of that has been born so much beauty and so much growth for me. Um, one of which is this podcast, which I'm super thankful um, for each and every day. I love our community. When you guys reach out on Instagram or through Facebook or um, email, I just it just lights me up, guys. And I can't get enough of your stories and your passions and your purpose out there in the world. So if there's any way that I can help, um, maybe connect you with a mental health professional that we've spoken to, a great coach that resonates with you. I know that I just com- connected Thomas Suski with uh, an old, old, old friend of mine who is super interested in NLP. Um, I've seen a huge benefit from it in the last few weeks, um, a overall better positive attitude about everything. I'm not going to lie, guys. I cannot wait to share with you uh, what's possible after the 10 weeks that he and I are spending together. Um, without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Sarah Ezrin. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Hey guys, welcome back to the BBR podcast. I'm blessed to be joined from San Francisco, California. Mrs. Sarah Ezrin, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Dave? Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Um, we met through a mutual friend. Heather Reinhardt is a, a, we're big fans of Heather. Huge. Oh my gosh. And she's just, this is her year. So it's, it's, it's really amazing to watch all of her hard work come to fruition. She is an incredible author. So if you guys don't know her yet, look her up, buy her book. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we just so enjoyed the conversation that we had with with her, and she recommended that you and I jump on and have a conversation about self love. But that's not where your journey started, is it? <laughs> well, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I know when I know about your yoga career is that was kind of a springboard into kind of manifesting a new life for yourself. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. It was a complete about face. Uh, and I've kind of realized over the years that, that we have a lot of those in our lives if we're open to them. But yes, 100% starting to teach was was a definite shift in, uh, in gears for me, but, but all in the right direction. Sure. What did you learn from your yoga practice before you started teaching maybe about mind-body connection or simply just about yourself through yoga? You know, I think the thing with yoga was I had started it so much younger than when I, I actually became serious about it. So I, you know, I'd been dabbling with it since I was in college. I was like 19 years old and, you know, would do this VHS tape and, you know, <laughs> kind of like here or there and like go to classes once in a while. But when I really got into it again was um, around the same time that my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it was also around the same time that I was working in the movie business and, you know, very high stress career. And what I had realized at that point, you know, was like, I had no sense of, um, I guess, mortality for lack of a better word. And I don't mean it in a negative way. It was just like I'd been going through the motions for so long and doing what I thought I had to do. You know, I, I grew up in L.A. I was like, you know, a little Jewish girl from the West Side. And like, that's what you do. You like you get into the movie business and, you know, you're like it's stressful and there's long hours and a lot of yelling. And, you know, and that's what you do because like, you know, that's just what you do. And I didn't realize that I even had a choice in, in changing my life or taking care of myself. And so when mom got sick, that was like, you know, it was like the, the, a line had been ripped in reality, you know, and, and the veil had been removed and it was suddenly like, you know, I only get one chance here and, and, you know, and that ultimately it's up to me if I'm not happy, I need to make the shift. And, and all of that was happening on the mat. I mean, in, in a smaller way and, and, you know, in like a simple decision of like come out of a pose early or try this variation, you know, when you're feeling brave and later translating to, you know, make a shift. You're unhappy, make a difference. And, you know, if you, if you love something, go for it. Yeah. When you say no sense of mortality, was it more like you were living a life absence of living? I mean, I was definitely living. I was having a very good time. So (laughs) I don't think it was a lack of living so much as like maybe living, like where was I living from? And like a sense of mortality and that like, I thought I had like endless time and that, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize how precious this life is that we're leading. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I mean, I was, you know, I'll be honest, like I I drank a lot. I, you know, was like, I did a lot of drugs in high school. Like, you know, I was like, I enjoyed life. I was a partier, but you know, in, in many ways, all the things that I was doing, all that kind of behavior was really an escape from being in the reality of, of this life. So yeah, maybe, you know, maybe in, in, in what you're saying, like maybe it was an absence of 
truly living? Because was I really ever present in the moment? And then all that addiction stuff got transformed into like major eating disorder stuff in college and then transformed into the busy culture and my workaholism, um, you know, which still I'm still working on. But yeah, I think in many ways, like, you know, all of that was an avoidance of, of, you know, the reality of like, I need to be in this moment. And in this moment, everything is precious. And what is my heart telling me to do? Yeah, I totally understand that. And uh, did, was it a sense of purpose that helped you go from practicing yoga to in, to teaching yoga? You know, it's funny, and I, I think my sense of purpose came later. I, I never felt like I was like, oh, I should be a teacher. It all it made so much more sense to me in hindsight. Like looking back now, I'm like, wow, everything I've ever been through has brought me to this moment. But I think like in the in the actual immediate decision of like, okay, time to quit your job and and go and try and teach yoga. It was more about like following my heart in like in in, in a selfish way. You know, it wasn't yet like this is my purpose to share my gift with others um, or to like share this practice with others, which is ultimately now what fuels me is like, Oh my God, like this is what I was put on this earth to do. You know, like I I love sharing yoga and and helping others find themselves. But I think at the time it was more like where, what's my heart wanting to do. So I think a purpose in the sense of like, I was finding my truth. And then later I realized that my truth really was around the teaching. So my truth in that I loved yoga, I wanted to do more of it. And then as I got further into it, my truth and my purpose merging together to be like, oh, I love yoga and I want to share it. Yeah, I can completely relate to that because when I began my personal training career as an independent, I never worked in a box corporate gym at all. Um, I didn't work. I didn't go to work with a purpose other than simply just to impact lives through fitness and nutrition. And it wasn't until about 18 months into my business where I actually found my true purpose for beginning the business, much like yourself, where in hindsight, I'm like, why did I even start this thing in the first place? And it was to teach people the correlation and the impact of fitness and nutrition on mental health. Yeah. And when I just, yeah, when I discovered that purpose, everything shifted for me in the way that I actually went to work. Yeah. And before that time, I don't believe I was truly living. Yeah, because it's like, what what are we living for, right? I was saying that earlier. It's, you know, to like paycheck to paycheck or, you know, accolade to accolade. And, and especially as people that are healers like yourself and wanting to share and, and wanting to help others, like, I mean what else is there? I mean, this is what life is about, right? It's, it's about being of service. So absolutely. Once, and once you're in that purpose and able to actually be a benefit to others, oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's just the greatest fuel there is. Yeah. I've, I've definitely found my lane and everything I do from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed at night, each decision is made to push that purpose forward uh, closer to impacting more people's lives in the same way that I found fitness and nutrition and personal growth um, have done for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have the podcast too. I mean, broadening the reach there and yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's, it's so wonderful to see how just be, you know, us loving something, how it can, it can grow into this, into this bigger offering. 
Yeah, I was trying to explain to a professional power partner over coffee this morning of like, Dave, what is it that you do? Like you have 18 things going on at one point <laughs> time. And and I, I put it a little bit simpler than I ever have before in my life. I said, I have one purpose and meaning for my life. I just do it in three different ways. Oh, I love that. And she said, you've got to write that down because that's your mission statement. And a mission statement is generally a little more specific than that, but fitness and nutrition business, then teaching personal trainers how to do what I do. And then finally, the podcast, like you mentioned, is a straight up addressing of mental health as we discover it in relationships with others. So I'm staying in my lane of like impacting mental health through fitness, nutrition, and now through personal growth. So how did you go from yoga instructor to being so passionate about self-love? Well, I think, you know, like you asked originally, you know, when I was like starting to find my purpose and and that shift towards, you know, sleepwalking versus living. And I, I, that's really what the practice was teaching me. I mean, it, it was not about being able to handstand or, you know, do these crazy back bends, you know, it was, it was ultimately that moment. And I like, I remember a specific day doing a pose, a pose that I would often fall out of and a moment where I would usually like berate myself and, you know, go down into, you know, the, the total shame spiral of like, why can't you do this? You're not strong enough. You don't deserve to be here. And instead falling out of the pose and having a moment of actually like almost like someone else inside of me saying, it's okay, sweetie. And like literally almost wanting to turn my head around, you know, like who is that speaking inside of me? And so it, it really started in that moment. And then it just started to translate off of the mat, you know, these similar things of like, you know, dropping something and, and, you know, thinking it's okay, sweetie, or, you know, looking in the mirror and almost being surprised by my own reflection as if I'd never seen myself before, because when I would sit there as a teenager, you know, twenties, or when I'm, I'm in a major anxiety moment, cause it still comes up. My eating disorder is still very active. Um, you know, is like starting to beat myself up over what I see and instead like looking and almost like catching your glimpse of yourself and seeing the light inside of you and thinking, wow, you are beautiful. Well, you had asked me really like how I segued from teaching yoga into, into teaching self-love. And I believe that they've always been deeply integrated. I mean, what, what originally drew me to yoga you know, in the very, very, very early years was a much more superficial reasons. You know, it was like weight loss and flexibility and, you know, all those things that 19 year olds are concerned with. But what kept me coming back to yoga was this shift that started to happen on the mat where I actually became kinder to myself in a way that I I never had before. I mean, everything I'd ever done was often abusive with myself, you know, whether it was like the, we talked about the drug abuse or my eating disorder stuff, or just my general taskmaster nature. So, you know, being on the mat and I remember it was like a specific day and, and, and a specific pose. I think it was warrior three. It was either warrior three or half moon pose, but it was a pose that I would often fall out of. And usually when I fell, I would get very upset with myself, you know, and like go down this total shame spiral of like, you know, I shouldn't even be in here and I'm such a fake and what am I doing? And, you know, and on this day, it was very different. And, um, you know, on this day when I fell out of the pose, 
a voice said, it's okay, sweetie. And I remember like all but turning around to see who said it because it was almost shocking that this could come from inside of me. But then it started to happen more often. It it happened, you know, like when I would be clumsy off of the mat and like, you know, drop them. The specific incident was dropping a bag of quinoa where my normal response would be like expletive, you know, I'd be like, "Ah." Uh, you know, this time it was like, it's okay, sweetie. And it started to happen more and more and more. And, And as the kind voice became louder than the, than the taskmaster voice, my whole life began to shift. And it was like this weight was removed from my shoulders. So when I started teaching, I was able to identify that in a lot of my students. You know, I would see somebody like berating themselves when they fell out of a mat. I would see the girl, you know, adjusting her shirt to try to cover her stomach. And all these things and, and, you know, the heaviness that I used to live my life by. And so to be able to share that message and, and to help them find that voice inside of them, I mean, that was the ultimate goal. So much like you, I mean, I, you know, I try to do it in all different ways now. It's not just yoga. It's my, you know, it's my writing. It's, I do it through my, so I try to do it through my social media. I try to just do it in how I talk to my friends and the advice that I give. But like, if my legacy could be helping others find that voice inside of themselves to be a little kinder to themselves, to love themselves a little more, then that would be a wonderful legacy to leave. Definitely. So you began to incorporate positive self-talk for yourself and for your students in a yoga class. Yeah. And that not everybody's open to it. <laughs> Sometimes I make them like, we'll work on a really hard pose, like crow pose. And afterwards we'll be resting in child. And I'll say like, say to yourself right now, I am so proud of you. And like, I can feel, you know, it's, it's like somebody thinks it's silly or there's like a little bit of resistance to it. But then you, I repeat it again. I am so proud of you. And like, I say it to them, you know, but I say it a few times so that they can start to integrate that into themselves. You know, like, let that be our mantra. Sure. You know, we can say Satnam and all these really powerful, important things. And I think they are kind of the same thing. Satnam's like, I am that, right? Like we are all connected, but if we can put it in a tangible way of like, what are you going to say to yourself when you leave here? Well, I am so proud of you to walk away with that. I don't, who cares if you ever do Kropos, right? At the end of the day, but yeah. to walk out of that room with that as your mantra, that's a beautiful pack. That, that's a great class. Yeah. There's, there's very little instant gratification when it comes to yoga. <laughs> <laughs> you don't begin yoga to be great at it after a day. Yeah. At all. <laughs> <laughs> And I oftentimes remind myself that if I'm not uh, successful in a jujitsu competition or if I'm not uh, expertly achieving an Olympic lift, then I'm simply just failing forward. And if I remember, if I remind myself that even a small step forward is still a small, is still a step in the right direction. Yeah. That's my positive self-talk. And so, and I love that. I mean, that's, it's so important, right? And I love, I love that phrase of failing forward because, you know, even if we are taking whatever steps back, you know, and I'm making air quotes, like, is it really going backwards? Like, you know, I think some 
sometimes when we're pulled back from something, you know, if like, and I, I don't know what progress is like, you know, with jujitsu and, and like, you know, Olympic type, type <laughs> lifting, I have no idea. But, you know, sometimes in yoga, it's like you're going to have really good days where like everything's really easy. And then the next day, everything is really hard. And, you know, and then you're going to feel you're going to have like a super healthy year and then you're going to have surgery one year, you know, and all these things that, you know, but none of it's really taking us back. Like just because we have that harder day, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the progress that you had the day before. And if anything, you're going to learn more about yourself on those more challenging days because it asks you to work in a different way. One where the pose or the, the practice or the lift or the, you know, sequence is not as important as like you just showing up wholly and, and authentically. And consistently. And yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and That's being so important. important. <laughs> yeah. So as it comes to facing one of those hard days on the yoga mat or on the jujitsu mat or on the Olympic lifting platform, when people don't have positive self-talk, why is it that they have so much self-doubt? Well, I think first it's important to say like, just because we have positive self-talk does not mean <laughs> that we don't have self-doubt. I, I feel like, you know, it's kind of the medicine for it and, and maybe it's born out of that, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think so much of it is our culture. I, I really do. And, and just the success drive that it feeds into, I mean, you see it in, in little kids now too, when they're, they're overscheduled and overextended and um, you know, this, this constantly like having to be perfect, the perfection trap that we all fall into. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, like, I, I wish that this, the positive self-talk was a cure-all for the self-doubt, but I think sometimes the self-doubt allows you to step into that positive self-talk when you're willing to look at it and, and to unpack it. Not everybody is, not everybody's willing to look in the mirror in that way. I, I've always counseled people and I've always coached people to think, to understand that self-awareness is the key to all growth yeah. in, in <laughs> yoga or in um, gaining a new perspective on your life through positive self-talk. Um, and this next question is really hard. Okay. Because oh, your questions have been hard already. So. <laughs> I, I do have the tendency to challenge. <laughs> oh, it's good. It makes me think in it. Cause some of my, you know, it's like, sometimes you can get robotic in your answers. So no, I appreciate it. You're making me think, which is good. Yeah, very true. So why is self-love so important to find lasting love? Why is, oh, I mean, that again, that's not hard. <laughs> I, I'm married. That's not hard. <laughs> Um, oh man, you know, for so long, I, I was looking for someone to complete me that, you know, remember that Jerry Maguire line, you know, and it's like, you, and you watch all these romantic comedies and, and you think that, that somebody's going to come into your life and they're going to take away all of the, every worry and every anxiety that you've ever dealt with. But then every relationship that I put that pressure on failed and understandably so because it's not up to my partner to fulfill those needs inside of myself. What I learned is, is instead of a partner being someone who completes you, a good partner is somebody that compliments you. So being able to show up as a whole person, 
not only allows you to love more wholly because you're not this constant, you know, like different whole, right? Whole W H O L E versus, you know, you being a black hole H O L E and, and trying to, t- you know, just a, a pit of neediness, but it, it also, it, it makes whatever this person bringing into your life is just a pure enhancement. So I think it's impossible to love someone else fully until you love yourself fully. We can only give as much as we can give to ourselves. And I think we forget this sometimes. And especially as somebody that's like, you know, a a self-proclaimed caregiver and caretaker where we give and give and give and give. If we're not able to give to ourselves, then we're not really giving to those around us too. And I, I know that sounds controversial, but, you know, I, I fully believe this. Until we can love ourselves, we cannot love someone else in the same way. We think we can, but is it really love or is it, you know, um, what's the word? Like, you know, when you're, you're super reliant on another pregnancy, right mm-hmm. now. but, you know, like the, when you're deeply enmeshed and, and enabling, right? Or is it an enabling kind of relationship? But for it to be a, an, an act, of like being able to be a separate person and love this other person, like that needs to come from you loving yourself first. Yeah. Self-love is not selfish. I think that was a, definitely a point that you were trying to make in the middle there. And when we get stuck in a codependent relationship, codependency, um, yeah. we find those holes within ourselves that of the pieces that we're lacking, you know, we're, we're lacking those in those areas. So we're seeking somebody else to fill up that cup. And uh, why self-love is not selfish is because you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. If you're draining yourself every day, 100% and pouring into others and you don't take the time to go to yoga for an hour because you love it, or you don't take the time to uh, lift heavy because you love it, then you're not going to be good for anybody else, especially yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, self-love is not just doing those things that we love. It's also like setting boundaries. It's, you know, that is self-love, right? It's like being able to say like, no, you know, I need quiet right now in this moment, or I, I need a hug right now in this moment. I mean, that's terrifying to be able to reach out to another person. And it's, you know, I want to be really clear. It's not to say that the other person can't validate you or, you know, fulfill certain needs. You know, obviously you don't want to, you're not dating a brick wall, you're dating a human being, but it's, it's your desire for it is different, right? Like, like, you know, I'm, I'm very open about my struggle with anxiety my whole life. And, you know, I was, I was constantly looking for partners to fix my anxiety. And, you know, I did a ton of work on myself before I met my husband. And I really do believe that I, you know, I manifested him. But when I got into this relationship with him, he was doing everything right. And I still had anxiety. It, as a matter of fact, it was almost worse. And I went to my therapist and I was like, what is happening? And she said, and I was 33 at the time, I'm 37 now. I was 33. She said, did you really think that 33 years of anxiety would just go away when you met the right person? And I was like, yes, I did. But that's not how it works at all. Instead, all that anxiety was coming to the surface and I was able to be strong enough in myself to own this side of myself, to be like, okay, this is my messy bits, to show them to my husband who was then loving enough and and amazing enough to be like, I'll help you pack these back up for you. 
So we could actually sit with my anxiety and look at these things, but he wasn't fixing it. He wasn't the solution. It was just that he was able to hold the space for me to be in my own anxiety. And that was because I was strong enough in that moment to to recognize like, this is what I'm bringing to the table. So I think that's a huge, huge difference. Boundaries are a big thing in our community where I love to talk about what are, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And when it's, when it's totally fine to ask for that quiet time or, Hey, you know what? Sundays are not great for me to date. I, I say no to the Sunday date because that's my one day of the week to refuel and refresh and prepare for the next six days that are all, all business all the time. Yeah. I think you're going to be surprised when, when you meet your person that may shift a little and, and, and not because you, but it's different than like, you know, being in a relationship where you're giving that up because again, it's that neediness or that fear or you're placating to their schedule, but like, which is right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like somebody that's like, you know, they're only available on Sunday. So you make that happen. But I think when you find the right person and they're respectful of that Sunday, Something will happen where you're both either able to be quiet together on that day or you're more willing to open up that space for them and find it somewhere else. Like, I think that, you know, that'll shift, but like, you know, hold that as, as your safe space and what's important to you is, is really great that you recognize that. Yeah. My friends always give me a hard time. Actually, they were giving me a hard time just a couple of weeks ago for, um, Dave, your boundaries are way too strict. And- <laughs> Uh, my friend Elise actually said that same exact thing is like, when you find the right person, you will, you will kind of bend your boundaries a little bit. And I have in some cases, absolutely. I'm not non-compromising. That's not what yeah. I'm, that's not what I'm doing around here. I'm simply just um, self-aware enough to know what the results are. If I too early on am too flexible on like the Sunday date, I know what happens. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like, if you, if you get together with somebody that's like Sunday's their day and they're like insistent, you go out on Sundays and then, so you bend over backwards to do it. That's not fair. Cause that's not honoring who you are. Mm-hmm. But if like, let's say it's like you hang out on Saturday night and then it goes into Sunday morning and then you're like, you know what? Okay. Like they, she wants to go for a run. And like, so you go for a run together. Like, I think that's more what you're going to find. It's just kind of that flexibility within that. And it, it is, it, I think boundaries are a spectrum, right? We can be too flexible, just like we can be too strong. So it's, it's always kind of finding that middle and it changes and it really does. I mean, you know, living with my husband, it was really hard. I hadn't, I hadn't lived with somebody other than my mom because she was sick and it was my mom and it was very different. I hadn't lived with somebody since I was 21 years old, you know? So it was like 12 years of being by myself with my dog. It was a huge adjustment. And he never asked me to do things other than what I wanted to do, but I did let certain things go. And then, you know, like I would stay up a little later than felt good. I would sleep in a little later than felt good. And I felt like I was kind of losing myself. And I, so I had to get back to, you know, my routine, which was like, so now he, and guess who changed their schedule, right? (laughs) It's like, so now Ben actually goes to bed much earlier. We wake up early together and, you know, it, it kind of, it works itself out. Yeah, because it's fluid and it's a symbiotic relationship and we both have our own individual needs that we have to bring together in order to form a partnership. Yeah. You made a good point in the middle of what is, <laughs> what is your motivation for being flexible on your boundaries? 
is it to get them to like you more? Because that's not a good reason to um, flex on our boundaries. You agree? Yeah. So that's, and I think that's, that was the point I was trying to make earlier. So that was really well said and a good way to sum it up is like, yeah, are you trying to do it to please somebody else? I dated a guy, you know, we were, we had a long relationship and, you know, where it was like, he wanted to go out every single weekend. And like, I am a like major introvert. Like if I could never leave my house again, I would be happy. <laughs> But I did it, you know, and I would go out all the time and it was like, it wasn't my truth. And, and I, I think, you know, versus my relationship now where it's like, Ben's like, can we go out once in a while? And it's like, okay. And, and like, but he's right. Like getting out of the house, like once a month and actually like being amidst people is, is a good thing. So I think, and and the motivation behind that is like, yes, I want to please my husband and he's asking for it. But it's also healthier for me to get out of this rigidity of like, I have to be at home and, and I get stuck at home. Mm-hmm. So one, yeah, the motivation is, I mean, that's the, that's the big thing right there, right? Are you doing it to please somebody to hang on to this relationship or are you, is it a willingness to kind of open your world up and to let another person? Yes, of course. Oh. Uh, Definitely agree. So when you guys go out together that one night a month, is it to a party or is it to a dinner, just the two of you? And that's just the social, um, you're out in public. What's the difference there? <laughs> um, cause he's such a homebody too. So it gets really dangerous and we like, we love our Netflix and we love our house, but when we go out, we definitely don't go out to parties as much. I mean, like very, very, very rarely we'll do concerts. Concerts is a big thing that we do, you know, like once in a while, um, movies kind of, you know, these, like these little outings. I'd love to go to movies more often and, uh, spending time with my family, my brother here. And, you know, whenever we have family in town, like we'll go out to dinners with them, but we don't like our date nights and stuff are usually here. We cook together. We have our quiet, intimate moments here in the house and, and we travel a lot together. Um, so that's kind of when we do our date nights and stuff like that, but yeah, it varies. Mm-hmm. So but no, we're not out of the club or anything like that. <laughs> not our stuff. Which would be very, very draining for an introvert. Um, oh my God. Yeah, I can't. And I don't even, concerts are really hard for me too, honestly. Like, and, and I, like, I'm starting to recognize, you know, what I like these it's, and it's recognizing and honoring that. And that's part of that self-love thing. It's like, and explaining to him too, because even though he's introverted, he's not empathic in the same, not empathic is, is he's empathic, but he's not as sensitive to being out in public as I am, where I feel everybody's energy around me. And like, even going to the grocery store can be very draining for me. And for him, it's not, not as, as difficult. So like the fact that I can recognize that I can own that part of myself and then he can be my like safe shield to like help me go out into the world. And then also, no, he knows when I start to get tired at like, you know, 10 p.m. Like dinner's done. Okay, we got to go home. Wow, you're lucky that you can make it till 10. (laughs) (laughs) So I can feel the same way when I go out and I can, I'm an an extrovert that needs a recharge day. And that's why Sunday is so important to me. Yeah. Even though as I, I'm not going to say I grow more mature, I'm just growing older, right? And if I'm out, I can last as an extrovert for about three or four hours in a social situation with more than just one other person. But after that, I'm drained and I've got to go. Yeah. It might be because of the task oriented lifestyle that we live, but, or just straight. Okay. I've, I've been awake for too long today. 
But for me, I believe it's because um, I'm drained after expending that much mental and emotional energy in a public situation, in a say like a party or a birthday or um, even dinner out. Yeah. You know, all that all that stimulation coming in at one time drains me. Yeah. I, I totally, I mean, I completely understand what you're saying right now. I think something that came up when you were saying that is, is, you know, you are a healer, right? Like I, I think you, you have that very sensitive, compassionate side. So don't negate this, the empathic side of it too. And when I, I say like, you know, like to be an empath, I don't just mean like this, this ability to be sympathetic to other people. There's like a phrase, there's, there's a woman that, that wrote the empath survival guide. I don't know if you read this book, but it talks about people that are extremely sensitive, the empath survival guide. Um, I think her name is Judith Orloff. Like people who are extremely, extremely sensitive, like social situations are draining for them because of this constant taking in of other people's energy. And like already what we do for a living is a lot of output. You know, going into a class and teaching for 90 minutes is you speaking out loud for 90 minutes, but it's also holding space for all these different energies as well. So to then be out in a public setting, it, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, our, we have to really manage our energy well. And, and to be with a partner that understands that is huge. My dream for you is to like find the, find the person that can be with you on Sundays and the two of you can be quiet together. Right. So it's like, and, and then, and, and that's what I find with Ben is like, I don't get, and I think that's what kind of, that was like one of my clues, you know, like, oh, there's something really special in this guy. Like, I'm not tired when I'm around him. I'm energized. I'm fueled. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I found it <laughs> where that Saturday bleeds into Sunday. Uh, that's why I was laughing when you were talking about it earlier. I, I found that. And uh, unfortunately, just the timing didn't work out where I was ready, but they weren't. So, yeah. and that's part of the process. That's part of the discovery of yourself with another person and the way that you describe your husband is that he is complimenting you in that social situation where he can be the shield I think is what you called it yeah and that's not him um, completing you or filling a void inside of you that's simply just him being the best partner that he possibly can because you chose him to be yeah. And I don't even think he's like, you know, necessarily aware of, it's not like something he has to consciously try to do. It's just simply sitting next to me, like touch is really important, holding one another's hands, like hugging him. And, and like, especially in a con in concerts, I get really, I like, I just get overwhelmed and like, you know, these kind of louder settings or festivals or things like that. But if I can like be next to him, like it's, I, I always joke that my head fits perfectly in his, the nook of his shoulder. Like we were like creating together. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's an amazing, amazing thing, you know? And it's, and again, yeah, it's like you said, it's not anything he's like consciously doing. It's just, it's, it's who we are. It's our, it's our match as people match and temperament. And he's really outgoing too. Like as introverted as we are, he's super good in social situations. So it's like, he was the first person where like, I didn't have to do all the talking. So that's really nice too. Cause I can just like take a back seat and just, you know, hand him the reins, which is, that's the partnership. Yeah. And it's hard to find. It takes, yeah. it takes a long time to first discover yourself and then understand what it is that you're looking for. I always tell people, Set your intentions. What are you looking for? What do you want? Uh, set healthy boundaries. What are you willing? Uh, I hate this phrase. What are you willing to tolerate? 
but what you tolerate will persist. And then finally, um, how to manage, how to learn how to manage your own expectations. Those are the three simple steps to um, really discovering that lasting love that we've been talking about for the past 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the setting the boundaries, like what you would tolerate, I I call them like the non-negotiables. Like what, what is it that like, and, and I, I can't take credit for this. This was actually another book. I don't know. You probably know this one. It's called if the Buddha dated. I don't know that. If the Buddha dated and she talks about your non-negotiables, like what are the things that are like, you know, unequivocally, if this is not in a relationship, then, you know, this is a no-go and getting really clear on those. Because I think that's the ones where we were talking earlier about like the the movement of your boundaries is like when we start to kind of shirk on those where we let something go a little bit is, is when we're not really authentically moving our boundaries with the relationship. So if those are all met, then, then there's much more willingness to open and expand. I agree. 100%. That was, that was very well said. So if there's one thing that um, you want to leave us with that we didn't touch on or you want to expand on, what would that be? Well, I, I love, love, love that you asked the question about, you know, the importance of loving yourself in, in order to find that, that partner. And I think that's the, the takeaway here is like, you know, we are all often, you know, we're, it's a lonely world out there, you know, as connected as we are, we're the loneliness, the loneliness, how do you say it? Loneliness. You know what I mean? We're, we're the most lonely that we have ever been in, in, you know, in a very, very long time. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, I'm pregnant right now. We don't have a ton of family around. It's, it's the first time that you're kind of not living within your village. So in what happens is, is we get really desperate to kind of fill those voids in every way possible. And we settle, we like, we forget what our non-negotiables are and we, we accept the relationship that like, like is, you know, a, a couple inches short of what we're really looking for. And if we're settling for something, if somebody is not meeting, you know, those expectations and, and those, you know, non-negotiable needs, then are we really loving ourselves by being in this relationship? So the work has to come from us first. Like, how can we be full and whole so that when we meet this other person, that they are then this beautiful complement to who we are, exactly what we've been saying. But it must come from us first. And that means not just having one person try to fulfill all our needs, but going to you know yoga classes and having a teacher, going to therapy, having great friends, you know, if you have siblings being connected with your siblings or your cousins so that when this person comes into our life, you know, that they can fulfill the role that they're meant to, which is partner. Awesome. Well said. If uh, somebody loves your message, where is the best place that they can get a hold of you? Um, Well, I would love to connect. Thank you. And I'm always open to questions and emails and things that always makes me feel good. And I I love to be of service. Um, So on Instagram, it's sarahezrinyoga.com or you'll do it on the show notes too, right? I assume. Uh, Sarah Ezrin Yoga on Instagram. And then my website is sarahezrinyoga.com. All right. So uh, we'll send people there. Absolutely. We'll put that detail in the show notes in the blog post. And what do you say in the next six to 12 months, we do a follow-up and we, uh, we do a check-in and see where you're at with this brand new baby. And (laughs) thank you. Thank you. That would be a lot of fun. Uh One of our 
one of our future guests that we're recording next month. <laughs> uh, I think she's recording like two weeks before her due date. So, uh, oh my gosh, wow! I just loved, I just love to see the the progress of life um, in my personal training business. I worked with a woman up until her wedding, up until her first child. After that, up until her second child, and then online with nutrition coaching after that. So that's so cool. It's, it's amazing when clients become friends and then friends become your life. And, you know, we just had dinner a week and a half ago um, because she's an online client. Uh, we don't get to see each other in person very much. And um, it's a great check-in. It's a great community um, ex- extending across the country now. I love that. And I love what you do. And, you know, thank you for your offerings and the message that you're bringing, you know, not just for the dating world, but it really is that greater message of, of self-love and, you know, self-care. So thank you for all that you do as well. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. What I'm discovering is that these principles are universal, whether you're dating or whether you're in a relationship. And I, I didn't get to ask one question that I really wanted to. And <laughs> I think it's a simple yes or no is like, do you still need self-love when you're married? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. You're, you're laughing at me because you know, it's been 14 years since my marriage ended and I don't remember yeah. ever, ever even having the concept of self-love, self-awareness, um, individuality. Uh, so here we are 14 years later trying to figure out, uh, how to put the pieces all the back together and how to clean up this mess. Yeah. But I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? Where it's like, you know, maybe you call it failing forward, but I think of it as like, even, even those, those things that didn't work out in the way that we thought that they should, all of those are lessons and building us up towards the next thing. So it all, it's all working towards that. Thank you again, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything. And I, I'm just so happy for all that you're doing out in the world. It's, it's a really great gift. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much.